2 Corinthians 1, 12, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we've had our conversation in the world more abundantly to you, Word. And I don't want to repeat myself, but this morning we spoke on this verse in Paul's, the context of Paul's writing of this passage And he started the church there at Corinth and then saw the church deviate from Scripture and become very carnal. And other men came in claiming to be prophets, undermining Paul, preaching false doctrine, attacking his character. And besides the two letters that we have here in our hands, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he wrote, the Bible states specifically, he wrote to them, something separate that is not recorded for us to read. But his heart grieved when he wrote the words because there were strong and harsh and direct rebuke. It was not at first received well. And he made somewhere in there, not details not recorded in Acts, but he made a, a trip back to Corinth. That wasn't received well either. And he sends Titus. And uh, somewhere along the way, chapter 2, we read that uh, he couldn't locate Titus, and that, that disturbed him. He's carrying that, this heavy weight, this spiritual burden of the church, not knowing where they're standing and, and not knowing his standing with the church. All of this is grieving him. And then he, he gets back word from Titus that they had repented. And uh, it, we're going to see in chapter uh, the next few chapters, 2 Corinthians, his rejoicing in their repentance in the reconciliation that takes place between him and the church. But here in this verse, what we have is Paul uh, speaking of himself and, and the pressure he dealt with in Asia and how God had delivered him from death. Um, but Paul in his ministry and his life, really the more you study the life of Paul, the more you stand amazed at the spiritual stamina and fortitude, and determination, and spirits filling. And isn't it astounding to think, here's this carnal church attacking this godly man, thinking he was the problem. And time would reveal, scripture would reveal the truth. We know his character was impeccable. But we want to talk, as we spoke to you about this morning, that phrase, it said, we had our conversation in the world, and he's talking about his testimony, and I want to I want to once again challenge you. We we have to live in a world, a functioning world that's every day a little darker and every day a little more evil. And somehow we want to stay unchanged, unscathed, somehow unaffected. My job is your pastor. I would say is probably a little bit easier because I'm not out in the midst of the world. I'm grieved after 30 minutes in the world. But you function in the world. You wake up early in the morning and everything you do, you're surrounded by the ungodly, the unbiblical, uh, those that have no spirit of God, those that hate this book or those that reject everything in God's word. And from their conversation to their music, to the pressure, uh, corporations now going woke, Austin in embracing everything from homosexuality to the transgender lifestyle. You're surrounded in that and daily grieved by it. So the question is, 
how do you live every day in that environment and somehow come out unscathed by it? How do we look at our children as they go through school and then step out into the world and many of them, although they'll live full-time for Christ, they won't be full-time in ministry and they've got to function in a world that's much darker than the world you were in when you graduated from high school to college. So how do they stay unscathed? And I think really, uh, we spoke this morning about conscience, but I think really there are so many keys in this text. Keep your finger here. Go back with me in Judges because I just want to mention a key text in Judges that will help us springboard into our thought tonight. Judges 2, verse 13 and 14. How many of you want your kids to turn out everything but what the world is? You want your kids to be godly and holy and righteous and biblical. That's a difficult challenge in the days we live. Verse 13, it says, They forsook the Lord, speaking of Israel, God's people. They served Baal and Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. Now, when we think of this, we think of those that plundered a nation. When you came in and conquered a nation, you would spoil them, you would plunder them, you would take their goods and leave them goodless. Uh, But I I really want to talk to you about being spoiled and allowing yourself to be spoiled by the world. Here's, Here's what spoiling really is when it comes to Christianity. God wants us to be separate from the world, so he drew some distinct lines to differentiate between God's people and the world. And they would not only blur the lines, they'd cross over the lines. And you see this this cycle of of judgment in the book of Judges where they literally, they would turn from God and embrace the world. And here's what we want to keep from doing, church. Despite the pressure, we've we've got to keep our eyes on God and in no time embrace the world because God said, I will allow you to be spoiled. I I believe it goes beyond the plundering of our goods. Yes, that means the plundering of all that is good that God has given us. Yes, Satan wants to plunder that. How many of you understand that? But I want to look at the more literal meaning of the word spoil. Spoil is to render useless by taking something out of its designated environment And uh, removing it from that environment, you, let me give you an example, you take milk, uh, it needs to be cooled, it needs to be refrigerated. So as long as it's in the refrigerator, it's in its designated environment. So if you're drinking milk, if you're eating cereal, if you're making a smoothie, you can pull it out, set it on the counter for 5, 10, 15 minutes at a time. And as long as it's put back into the right environment, into a refrigerator, it'll keep it from being spoiled. How many of you ever smelt milk that was not kept in its proper environment. What happened? It was rendered useless. It became putrid. It was spoiled. And Christians, God has an environment for us as Christians. We were never meant to spend excessive amount of time in the world. Yes, we have to work. Yes, we have to function in the world. Uh, But the church is our refrigerator. Our homes ought to be our refrigerator. Uh, We ought to be in an environment that God meant for us to be in 
to keep us from being spoiled. And what happened to Israel, when they got out of that environment, there was a natural spoiling that took place. Now, we, we could use a lot of examples. Let's, let's use grandparents. Children were meant to be raised by parents, not grandparents. I have heard my children talk very sweetly about their grandmother and the amazing woman that she is. And I have told them that is not the same mother that raised me. That's not the same woman. This is an old woman looking away to earn her way into heaven. And something changes in that person from motherhood to grandmotherhood. And so if you take those children out of, from under their parents, what is their refrigerator, and you put them in grandmother's care for too long, and she will spoil them. And then when you get them back, you say, well, they're Christian grandparents. It doesn't matter. They're at that stage where they have natural tendencies to spoil. So that's okay if the milk is outside of the refrigerator for a limited amount of time. You just can't afford to let it stay out of the refrigerator. So Christians, here's why church is so important. Here's why godly home is so important. And here's why keeping that, can can you follow the example? We can't get to the message unless I know you're following with me tonight. An example. You can't, a refrigerator is rendered useless if it doesn't stay plugged in. So you can say the milk's in the fridge. I've been to homes before where no one was living there and you open up the refrigerator and the smell emanating is so putrid and so defiling. Why that refrigerator, the environment was rendered useless because it was unplugged from the power source. So maybe the milk was still in the fridge, but if the fridge is unplugged, and you know what churches, they've done, they said, surely this church is the right environment, but they've unplugged from the power source. They've allowed the world's environment to seep in or to saturate what was supposed to be God's environment. And what is produced is a spoiling of God's people. Do you understand? That's what the world does. The world spoils God's people. That's their purpose, is to spoil them. Our purpose is to spoil the world, render their godlessness useless. So, uh, church, here's what you have to understand. When, when your home is not protected and plugged in, and you take what's out there in the world's environment, and you bring that into your home, you brought hot air in. You've unplugged from the source. Those kids are going to be spoiled. You bring in the world. You bring in uh, the garbage on TV. You bring... You say, we don't curse, and then you turn on the TV, and there's a continual cursing. And you say, we don't, we don't dress immodest, and then you bring in, by way of internet and movies and TV, immodest dress. And we don't drink, but everything you're watching includes drinking. And we're not disobedient. We don't lack respect for authority. But what they see, what, you unplug the fridge, and there's going to be a spoiling because you brought the world's environment to what was supposed to be the proper environment to keep them from spoiling. So when we talk about 
coming out unscathed from uh, living in the world, functioning in the world, and coming out unspoiled, we have to understand there's a proper environment. So although we're in the world, wherever we're at, we're still creating an environment, and we're keeping our environment what it should be to keep ourselves and our families from being spoiled. How many of you have ever seen a Christian family? And the kids didn't turn out well. And the problem was when they came to church, everything looked right and plugged in. But then when you went to that home, you realized it was a place that was unplugged. And you saw the reason for the spoiling. Church, this is why we want to keep in our church the wrong kind of music out. The wrong kind of influence out. This is supposed to be a spiritual refrigerator that keeps this group in this place charged and spirit-filled and unspoiled and unscathed from the world. And we want to take this environment and reproduce it in the home. So that way you can go out uh, during the day and, and function and do your work and come back and, and that milk's not on the counter for such a prolonged time that it, it turns and is rendered useless. Church, just shake your heads so we can move on. I don't, I don't want to make this a long message tonight. I am sickened by the constant spoiling that we're seeing among Christian youths, uh, Bible college graduates, by homes and people in general, Christians. We're not, we're not talking about uh, that have been in church for a year or two. We're talking about people that have been in church all their lives and suddenly they're in the world's environment. They brought the world's environment to their home for so long. You're, you're watching the spoiling process take place. Now, go back with me to 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, and look what Paul says is the, the key. And, and let's just read a very familiar verse as you keep your finger there. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, because you see a lot of examples in the Bible of Christians that were spoiled. 2 Peter 2 7. Spoiled never since the word. Was Lot and his family plundered by Satan? Did Satan manage to get his hands on all of Lot's goods? The, the house didn't matter, and the living room set didn't matter, and the back porch didn't matter. The bicycles and the fancy silverware, all that was destroyed when fire and brimstone fell on the city. That's not what we're talking about. Who cares if Satan gets that? We're talking about what he got in his home and in his purity and in his family and in his grandchildren, in his future. His house was plundered because Lot was spoiled. Did he delivered just Lot. What's it say? Vexed with the filthy conversation of that, uh, of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in what? Seeing and hearing. What did he do? He vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deed. He was in that environment too much, too long. And the next thing you know, he became so comfortable in it, he brought that environment to his home. And what happened when the angel came to pull them out of the city? 
his own son-in-laws mocked him. Who are you to tell us about righteous living and a God in heaven and a God of wrath? Really, Lot? So, yeah, tell us about your righteous living. And here's what you see. You can have two people work at the same corporation and one is spoiled and the other one is not. And two people work the same hours, uh, the same job around the same people. One is spoiled and the other one is not. Because he makes sure sure that he's in the right environment uh, more than he's in the wrong environment. He makes sure his home is the right environment and everything stays plugged in. He he keeps his pulse on the spiritual temperature so things aren't getting too hot or too cold. And he's saying, I can't afford to lose my kids and have them spoiled by the world and become what the world is. Now... Let me ask you this. Paul says of Demas, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved. Now, you know what Paul's doing? He's in the world 24-7. You say, well, Paul doesn't know my dilemma. Paul didn't live in Austin in 2021. Paul lived worse. Paul actually lived worse. I don't care if it was Corinth or Ephesus or Athens. It doesn't matter where he was at. It was worse. But here's what, here's what Paul says. Now, look at these Look at these simple words. Our rejoicing is this. The testimony of our conscience. He understood the importance of keeping a clear and clean conscience. And once again, let me remind you, you're not going to keep your kids unscathed from this world if you've not developed their conscience. We have a multitude of young people in this auditorium today that are already actively defiling their conscience. What's worse is you know there's a defilement going on because they can do that, come to church, and look like everything is great. That takes a defiled conscience to do. That active inner voice is not so active anymore. There's a habit and pattern of wrongdoing, and and in order to remain unscathed and unspoiled, You have to say, I want to be filling my heart and mind with Scripture, allowing the Holy Spirit to poke and to prod, to rebuke and to convict, and I'm going to be sensitive to His voice and immediately responsive. He said, rejoicing this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity, I want to highlight this again before we move on, simplicity and godly sincerity. Now, I would recommend you read a chapter, any chapter in Acts, 14, 15, 17, 18, any of those, Acts 14. Here's what you're going to see. These words and these things that Paul spells out, you see lived out in those chapters. His life was one of godly simplicity and sincerity. And if we're going to keep ourselves unscathed from the world, be careful because your young person can come to a Christian school and not be living a life of simplicity and godly sincerity. They can be living a double life, a duplicious life. They can be living something at night that they're not living during the day. They can be living something on internet that they're not living in public. They can be living something in private that they're not living in in Christian school. Two faces. Duplicious. Paul said through simplicity and sincerity, it's, it's time. Here's, here's what we've, we've done too often. We've, we've pushed so hard that we've pushed young people into duplicity. Uh, because there's not regular communication. 
repentance, uh, in, in helping kids when they fall to get back up and explaining to them how to move beyond sin, providing accountability, uh, because there's a fear factor in ever admitting, acknowledging, and confronting sin. It's just continue to hide, put more dirt on the problem, pretend it's not there. And you know what you see in Paul's life? No duplicity. Simplicity and sincerity. There's a lot of insincerity in so-called Christianity today. What's said is insincere. What is done is insincere. Now, if, if you want your kids to make it, you need to be simple, simplistic, and sincere because kids are not looking for a perfect mother. Kids are not looking for a perfect father. But they want to see the same person on Monday that they saw on Sunday. Whoever they saw greet the pastor, they want to have greet them. The same face they saw wandering around the church on Sunday morning, they want to see wandering around the house on Tuesday night. The same happiness they saw with the brethren, they want to see with their brothers. They want sincerity and simplicity. And that's what you see in Paul. He was always the same person. He was the same person with the little demon-possessed girl as he was with the jailer, as he was with Felix, as he was with uh, Timothy. It doesn't matter where he was at. All You always knew what you were going to get. A faithful servant of God who lived Monday morning like he was going to live Sunday morning. And in order to make it in this world and to be unscathed, here's what we can, because if there's any duplicity in them, and we see it in a Christian school, but if there's any duplicity in them, as soon as they go out in the world, they're going to conform to the world and live as the world lives throughout the week and then come back on Sunday and pretend to be a normal, outstanding Christian who's living a godly life. Technology has provided Christians the opportunity to be duplicious like never before. The inner man, the inner man is much darker and much more wicked than what the outer man appears to be. Easy to throw on a suit, comb the hair, put a Bible under the arm and speak like a Christian when the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. He said, in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom. Now, Christian, here's how you're going to get yourself in trouble. If you're trying to navigate this world with fleshly wisdom, you're not going to make it. You've got to live a spirit-filled life and say, God, I want you to give me spiritual discretion, but I'm not going to do this in man's wisdom. Go, go back with me to 1 Corinthians, a text we preached on probably about this time last year. I will not re-preach it. We'll just simply reread it. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. This was Paul's mantra. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Now, if there's anyone that could have spoken with the wisdom of man, it was Paul. A very learned, educated, and not just because of education, but also experience. He said, but I'm not going to speak with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
And if we're going to make it in this world, your kids should not see. Be careful because you'll start to pick up the lingo of the world and try to fit in and fly undercover. Then worldly wisdom says, how can I survive this? My whole company is woke. If I take any stand at all, I'm going to be crucified. If they know that I'm Baptist, especially independent Baptists, if they know my church affiliation, if they know I'm a Bible believer, if they, especially King James Bible, I, I can't give them the details. So it's one thing to let them know I'm a believer in God, but and men will start to use their worldly wisdom to navigate what now is a natural storm, just trying to live their daily life in the system and in the garbage that is Austin, Texas. How do I do that? Remain unscathed. You don't do it in worldly wisdom. You do it in the power of God living a spirit-filled life. Look what it says. In sincerity, simplicity, not fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. How do you understand? These are days that take great grace. Now, if you've been a Christian very long, you can look back at those that the once were sitting in the same pew as you uh, uh, were. They, they once had their entire family here. They once looked just like you looked and acted just like you acted. And now they're in the world and living exactly as the world lives. The same tattoos, the same piercings, the same language, the same music, the same godless children. What happened? Hebrews 12 gives us a great warning and and tells us we are to walk a certain way lest we fail in the grace of God. We, We fail, not the grace of God. The grace of God will never fail you. But you can fail to live in the grace of God and walk in the grace of God. And the immediate result of that is bitterness. And how many times have I seen Christians filled with bitterness, which will take you right off the cliff and into a life that's living exactly like the world that you once rejected and preached against. You will become that overnight. That root of bitterness grabs a hold of you. Say, how do I keep from ever allowing myself to become bitter? You walk every day in the grace of God. How was it that Paul wasn't a bitter man? Well, I'm serving God and he allows me to be shipwrecked repeatedly and beaten repeatedly and jailed repeatedly. And God, if you perform so many miracles, I, I mean, don't you think that it crossed mine at some point, uh, Paul's mind? Okay, so Peter denies you three times and he goes to jail and your angel comes in, taps him on the shoulder and walks out the doors, but not me. I get beaten like a madman. My back is filleted repeatedly. Then I'm thrown into the jail and they fasten me in these stocks and this jailer tightens them to such a degree that my punishment is not just my beating or the jail, but the stocks themselves. And then, God, you have to deliver me, not by way of an angel, but an earthquake. We have to sit there as the rocks fall and the ceiling caves in and the whole place shakes Lord, we can make a deal this next time to go a little easier route. And Barnabas, his mentor, says, if you're making me choose between you and Mark, the quitter, I'm choosing Mark, the quitter. Come on, wrap your mind around some of the stuff that Paul faced. You know how he kept from becoming the world that he was serving and and preaching and, and trying to reach? He lived every day 
filling up his grace tank and saying, I've got to walk in the grace of God, otherwise at some point I become consumed with bitterness and become exactly what they are. Church, here's, that was all peripheral to get to the message tonight. So how do we stay in the right environment and how do we stay plugged in and how did Paul keep from becoming what the world is and how did he maintain his conversation in the world and yet maintain his conversation with God? Go with me to Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 15. You can go anywhere in the Bible. We know the purpose that God has for the Christian is to make known his great name throughout all the earth. How many understand that? I don't know if there's anyone in the Bible that understood it more than the Apostle Paul. His life was always about proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what he says in verse Chapter 1, verse 14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the unwise. So as much as in me is, as much as in me is, with all my being, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation, everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now go with me to Romans chapter 15, verse 19. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about that strange place, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Now go with me to Exodus 9.16, and we'll finish right here with this verse. Church, here's what I want you to consider. What is the spoiling of the Christian by the world? How do we know that a Christian has become spoiled? Well, when he begins, begins to act like the world, when he begins to talk like, no, 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 no. Spoiling takes, you don't have to have the milk curdle and rot before it spoils. Right, right. How many ever poured milk on, on your breakfast, uh, your cereal, whatever you were eating, and you just caught a whiff, you said something, and you took a bite, and you said, oh, boy, I think this is turned. And you checked the milk carton, and the expiration date was three days ago. Anybody ever been there? I'm the only one. Now, it wasn't just curdled or discolored. It wasn't reeking, but it would turn. It, it was rendered useless, just not putrid. Right? So how do you know when a Christian has turned, the world has turned the Christian? Not, not putrid, but turned. So here's... What did God save you from and what did God save you for? It's about his honor and glory. It's about shining light in a dark world. It's about preaching the gospel. So when you cease to proclaim his name and cease to be a light, you've already started to turn. Are, are you with me? There's already a spoiling taken place. Hold on for a second. So there are a lot of, church, there are a lot of churches filled with people that have already been spoiled and the initial process of spoiling taking place. In the, things are starting to turn because the light is no longer shining. So I, I go to church. It doesn't change the fact. Satan wants to spoil. What's Satan's only concern? 
that you don't reach another person with the gospel of Jesus. That you don't shine a light. So, so if you just stay invisible in this world, Satan doesn't care. Yes, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can get you into drugs, that's okay. And if he can get you into uh, a life of alcohol, that's all good. We understand that. But the bottom line is, just simply do enough of your own will to keep from being light in a dark world. And the average Christian didn't even realize he's already been foiled. Un- his environment has become unplugged. The church has become unplugged. The home has become unplugged. That milk has already turned. Now, likewise, do reverse fashion here. So, if the, word, the world spoils a Christian, he's rendered useless, he's no longer a light, he's no longer a voice, he's no longer proclaiming the name of Jesus. So, for, for God to spoil the world, what does he do? He takes a man, saves him, and makes him proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen? Are you with me or not? So God's purpose is to spoil the lost and Satan's purpose is to spoil the the Christian. Verse 16. God speaking to Pharaoh. Go to 15. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and the people with pestilence and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up. God raised up Pharaoh. Hold on. For to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout. Are you with me? Did you get that? So God spoiled Egypt. And when we say he spoiled Egypt, we think about the Israelites plundering the Egyptians and taking their bracelets. Um, That's a very, why do we always think in financial terms? Why do we rejoice that they ended up with an Egyptian necklace or bracelet or earring or a collar piece. Oh, looky there. Oh, the Israelites, God did a miracle. They plundered all their gold and the silver. And God says, who gives a rip? When God speaks of spoiling, he speaks on spiritual terms. And God says, when I spoil the wicked, here's here's what I do. In, In the best sense of the word, I change a life, I give them the Lord Jesus Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and they become a light in a dark world, and they proclaim my name among the nations. And God says, I can even spoil a man like Pharaoh. He said, Pharaoh, I raised you up to spoil you. I turned you from a godless heathen that thought he was going to destroy my people to a man that I would use to declare my name throughout the whole earth. So God says, when I spoil the unsaved, I make them a light. I make them a voice. I make them a witness. And Satan says, when I spoil God's people, I turn out that light. I silence that voice. I shutter that light. I unplug the fridge and allow them to turn slowly. And they don't even realize they've been spoiled. Hold on for a second. You know, becoming like the world is, is not putting on their clothes. It's not going down to their bars. This world will never speak one word about Jesus and his saving grace. And Satan says, if I can get you to show up to church and wear the clothes and go through the rituals, as long as you never speak one word 
about Jesus Christ to a lost man in his sins, I've spoiled you. So the real question tonight, church, have you turned, have you been spoiled in a slow process and not even realized? Can Satan count on you the way he counts on any other lost man? And Satan says, I'm not worried about him at all. No track, no witness, no light, no worry at all. He's spoiled milk. 